morning again, our second reading, or our second lesson, is from the Gospel of Matthew, printed here in your liturgy. Oh God, open our ears that we would hear the Gospel. Be present to us through your Holy Spirit. We might join uh, the hope that is here in this passage to our everyday lives in a way that we will live differently because of our time together this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, would not have left his house uh, to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Thanks be to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, first Sunday of Advent. Whatever year it is, it always brings us a passage from what is sometimes referred to as Jesus' apocalyptic discourse. That discourse occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark's version, that's the oldest one, and it's the source for Matthew and Luke. The versions, they're more similar than they are different. Each of them occurs in the context of Jesus' warnings about the coming destruction of the temple. I'll come back to that later. This year, obviously, we have the version from Matthew, which we just read. I mentioned, for those of you who read it, in the homily preview in the weekly email this week, I mentioned that sometimes people ask, sometimes I'm a person that asks this question, actually, why a passage with such unsettling language to begin such a warm and cozy season? Well, first of all, let me say that I am all about warm and cozy Christmas season. I'm all about familiar foods, gathering with friends, family, and church family. I mean, after all, we are in a season that's punctuated by various feasts, including the Feast of the, Feast of the Nativity at Christmas and the Feast of Epiphany. So bring all that stuff on, ask my family, people who know me well, I tear up every time we watch White Christmas, no matter how many times we watch it. I'm all about the comforts of the Christmas season. But, but we also welcome 
the weighty message of the first Sunday of Advent, which basically amounts to this. Advent is about embracing hope in the form of God's promises, promises to intervene in a world that needs intervention, a world full of suffering and injustice. One day the intervention will come as a second advent, when Jesus, the only king of this world, will come again and join this world to the world to come. That grounding promise of hope for the world is not just good news for us as individual people, not just good news for Grace Chicago Church, but that grounding promise of hope joins us to all God's children, including and especially those who will have very little if any, creature comforts during this season. So we welcome the strong language of Advent, the challenge that it lays before us. And this brings me to the strange apocalyptic language here in Matthew this morning. I say it's strange because it is strange. <laughs> it's strange and unusual and confounding to our ears. It wasn't strange, unusual, and confounding, well, maybe confounding, but it wasn't strange and unusual to Jesus' hearers and other ancient people. It was the literary genre that they knew, they were used to hearing. For us, the most simple way to think about apocalyptic language is to get at the meaning of the word. It's a word that simply means to reveal. Revelation, the book at the end of the New Testament, it's called Revelation because it is an apocalypse. It reveals. But there is a bit more to it than that. Because in this genre of scripture that we call apocalyptic, the revelations are saturated by imagery that, number one, acknowledges that we live in a world where power is abused leaving victims, and two, that God setting our world right will be accompanied by cosmic upheaval, more violent imagery, and always highly symbolic, not really looking for one-to-one -one correspondence between symbols and geopolitical events or people you know, okay? Highly symbolic language, meant to help us get our heads around the fact that it's serious business to change a human heart. It's serious business to change the world. And of course, ground zero for all these convulsions that we're talking about is the cross of Christ, where Jesus himself absorbs all the evil that is in the world, breaks its back in his sacrificial death, on the cross, answered then by God the Father and raising him from the dead. And he's ascended to the right hand of the Father now in heaven from whence he will come again in the second advent. So what are we to make of all this? Well, it's probably not the right question to ask. The better question is, what will God's promise about the future make of us? 
what will God's promise about the future make of us? I rephrase the question that way because this is the first and most grounding truth that Advent teaches us. The world belongs to God. We belong to God. Time belongs to God. All people belong to God. God is coming back to set the world right. How then should we live? It's no coincidence that Jesus' discourse about his future advent comes right after his words of prophecy about the destruction of the temple. As we talked about that two Sundays ago. In that homily, we mentioned that Jesus' concern was that his followers read that event that was coming in 70 AD to read it through God's eyes and not through the lens of a nationalistic vision of taking up arms against Rome. And that's really what this whole section of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are about. This section that that we call Jesus' apocalyptic discourse of which we have just a few verses today. It's about learning to read current events, learning to read our lives, learning to read everything that we have to do with on a weekly basis in light of the world to come. And we have, when we've read it correctly, then we are enabled by God's Spirit to align our feelings, our thoughts, and patterns of doing with that promised future. The example we offered a couple of weeks ago is it's also apropos for our text this morning as well. A couple of weeks ago, I offered the example of, of Yolanda Fields, who is the executive director of Breakthrough Urban Ministries, when she was giving remarks at a community event in Garfield Park in the wake of the tragic and horrendous act of violence, the shooting of 14 people on that street corner in Garfield Park, when Yolanda was given the opportunity of speaking at a neighborhood meeting, she invoked the gospel. She invoked the gospel as a reason to have hope in the midst of a situation about which is very difficult to have hope. Yolanda was reading the events around her in light of the promises that are attached to the gospel. She read the situation right because she belongs to Jesus and because when something bad happens, like everybody else, I'm sure, she has a moment maybe of despair. I'll just put myself in that situation. If I could get to the point where I could speak eloquently as Yolanda spoke on that moment, with much confidence about the hope of the future because of Jesus that she had, it would have been a slog. I would have felt despair. I would have felt like I'm frozen in my tracks. I would have felt like I want to escape from this. I don't want to deal with it. Maybe, by God's Spirit, I would have gotten to where she got to reflect the reality that through the Spirit's eyes, she read the situation correctly, and then she spoke to it with hope. 
That's what Paul is talking about in the Romans passage. If you glance back at it, the passage, it was the first lesson this morning. Basically what Paul is saying here, and I'll paraphrase, live like you know what time it is. Live like you know what time it is. What time is it? Well, the answer for the Christian, and this is why I love um, Lee's comments last week on the, the church calendar and the way that it tracks with the life of Jesus through the course of a year, and we're invited to go along with that and see our lives in light of Jesus' life, which is lived for us. She said it better than that, but the point is, is that we're learning to see all time as God's time. What time is it? The Christian watch always says the same thing. What time is it? It's God's time. It's God's time. Because the future advent of Jesus, we live in between the two advents now, but the future advent of Jesus always shapes our vision of the way that we're to see the world and the way that we're to see our lives in the world. And we're to see our lives in the world as opportunities to flourish as a human being by living into the patterns that are set forth for us in scriptures and not the escapism that Paul refers to in the same breath. All those um, patterns of living, drunkenness, debauchery, I forget how it's translated in our translation this morning, but all those are, sure, you line them up on the side of a sheet and they're what we call sins, okay? But they're enticing for a reason. Because when you pick up the paper... Would you not rather escape sometimes? Would you not rather escape sometimes than to do the hard work? Hard, not in the sense that we're doing the work ourselves, but eh, challenging work of living into that gospel hope. All of us are tempted, right? And that's why Paul talks about knowing what time it is in relationships to those patterns of living that don't make for human flourishing because he knows that only when we know what time it is will we have the courage and the strength and the hope to turn away from patterns that don't make for human flourishing and live into those patterns that do make for human flourishing. In other words, you won't do it with your white knuckles. You won't do it with the promises, the the solemn conviction that I'm going to be a better person, you'll only do it when you believe that Jesus is coming back for you and for this world and that that power is already loose in the world and able to be tapped into. So Advent, seeing the world, like Jesus does. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, once remarked in a sermon that there are three ways of seeing the world. A diabolical way of seeing things, an angelic way of seeing things, 
and a human way of seeing things. He goes on to say the diabolical way of seeing things is to see absolutely everything in terms of you. The devils can only think of the world as something for them. They're constantly attempting to control and contain the world, to stuff it into their own egos. They have no imagination, the devils. Angels see things in terms of their relationship with God. They're full of imagination. When they look at the world, when they look at you and me, they see the extraordinary potential buried in us because they see us in our relationship with God. The angel Gabriel, apropos for Advent, right? The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, in so many words, you may be a teenager in a village nobody has heard of, on the edge of the Roman Empire in an occupied country, without any education, without a vote, without even a change of clothes, and you, Mary, are going to be where God happens. The angel Gabriel, strong on imagination. And then he goes on to say, and we human beings, well, of course, we're poised between devils and angels, no surprise there, we have the capacity of seeing things in an angelic way. God's made us capable of seeing the world in relation to him. And yet again and again, we insist on seeing it in terms of its relation to ourselves. End quote. Preparing for Jesus' first advent, as we're doing right now, that puts us in sacred space to ask God to remind us what time it is and to feel, enable us to feel and to think and to do according to the hope of the second advent. May God give us the grace to do just that in his empowering presence. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.